Good morning, brothers and sisters. Can I just uh, extend another hand of welcome to Brother Siutong, who's joining us for today, and our sister as well, who's joining us for the first time. Uh, can I also just say um, a word of thanks to the worship team. Thank you so much for facilitating our worship. I always appreciate your ministry. Uh, I know that you guys have been steadfast and faithful, and I thank you for that. Uh, I'd like to begin today's service by praying from a song that they often lead us in. So let us pray together. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness. Help us shine forth the light of Christ today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. So speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all of your purposes for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I was tired, I was hot, and I was lost. There I was, just 18 years old, dressed in camouflage green, and I was leading a section of my fellow army trainees through the jungle. And I was lost. Uh, sweat was pouring down from my helmet like a pressure cooker. Uh, my equipment felt heavier by the minute. And my superior officer who was watching us, he was barking at us to hurry up lest we suffer his wrath. And to make things worse, my fellow trainees had decided to tell me what to do. Can you turn right? No, we should have taken the path to the left just now. Oh, we should turn around. So I was getting more and more frustrated. And so when someone from behind my back said, Oh, you should look for the destination hill to, to take your bearings. I, I said to say, I, I lost it. I said, shut up, shut up. Let me think. And they did shut up and everything was quiet. And then someone patted me on the back and said, Wenpin, uh, that was the officer speaking. Uh, some of you may know that what I just did was a life-ending move. I would never get to see the light of my home ever again. Uh, but thankfully, uh, that officer was a real gentleman. He recognized that I was still learning. So when we did finally, at some point of time, get back to the campsite, uh, he took me aside and he said this to me, Wimpin, when there are so many voices telling you where to go, you really need to just stop and look for the destination hill. Take out your compass and take your bearing from there. You don't have to worry so much about the exact path you're going to take because when you know your destination, you will know whether to turn left or to turn right. You know, brothers and sisters, I wonder whether your life feels like that sometime. Do you feel lost in an urban jungle? Because our time is a time of many voices, many leaders, many guides, each of them claiming that they know how to live our lives for us. You go to popular, there are shelves upon shelves of self-help books that claim to know how to lead life best. You go to YouTube and you will see video after video promoting this lifestyle or that lifestyle. And all of these are the world's preachers and prophets preaching and teaching from the pulpit of the secular, telling us how to walk life's road. 
And we must not think that Christians are immune from these voices. For example, as Paul says in 2 Timothy, a time is coming where people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers that suit, <coughs> sorry, they'll follow their, look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. And so if indeed, if we are really flooded with this deafening whirlwind of voices, we really need to learn to listen. To listen for God's voice that often comes in a quiet whisper. We need to ask the question, what does God want us to know? What is His vision that should shape our mission? For as my officer told me, it is only when we know our destination that we know which paths to take. Thankfully, this challenge that we face isn't new. The Colossians, whose letter we will study later, they too faced this problem. Because they lived in a bustling, diverse, and multicultural Roman city, they too had voices barking at them. Voices from tradition and human philosophy. Voices that said, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And so what Paul does as the church's founding missionary is that he writes the letter of Colossians to them to help them to deal with these many voices. And so let us turn now to Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14, to ourselves learn from Paul. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. But before I begin reading, let me first orientate you briefly to the text. Uh, the five verses that we're going to look at have a simple two-part structure, and it's helpful to keep this two-part structure in mind. The first part is in verse 9. Paul is asking for something. He's requesting for something on behalf of the Colossians, and we know this because of the word ask. Then the second part is in verse 10 onwards. Paul's request has a clear goal. He has a desired outcome that he expects from his prayer. And we know this because of the word, so that. So what Paul is doing is that he first asks God <clears throat> for something on behalf of the Colossians, so that the Colossians will live in a certain way. Okay. So as we keep this two-part structure in mind, let me now read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will <clears throat> through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." Let me now begin with the first part, namely what Paul is asking for. But in fact, before we can get to what Paul is asking for, the text actually wants to tell us why. So for the first half of verse 9, Paul writes, For this reason, 
since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. So the question we need to ask is, what is this reason? And to find out, we work backwards by looking at the verses before. And when we look at verse 8, for example, Paul says, Epaphras has told us of your love in the Spirit. So in other words, what Paul is doing is he's praying because he has found out that the Colossians, they are loving people. And if we look back a few more verses to verses 3 and 4, we find out that Paul was already beginning to thank God for two things. First of all, for their faith in Christ Jesus. And secondly, for their love for all the saints. So in summary, Paul is thanking God for the Colossians because of their faith and their love. You know, I hope this sounds really familiar to you because this is what Pastor Oliver taught us last week from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 16. And in those, vo- uh, those verses, Paul says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So we see something rather interesting about Paul. Paul is quite consistent in his praying for all the churches. And likewise, my brothers and sisters, we too should be consistently giving thanks to God whenever we see our brothers and sisters growing in faith in Christ Jesus and growing in love for one another. But because uh, Pastor Oliver has already covered this point, I won't go into it into too much detail. But I do want to say this. My dear friends, I have been praying for you. Because in the last year, I have seen God working among our midst. I have seen your faith in Jesus growing. And I have seen your love for one another growing. And I am deeply thankful to God for His work among you. At the same time, in response, we too must press on. We must press on by trusting the Lord Jesus. And we must press on by keep on loving one another. Now that we know the reason for Paul's prayer, let us see what Paul is asking for. In the second half of verse 9, Paul says this, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So what Paul is doing is he's asking God to give the Colossians the knowledge of His will through the Holy Spirit. And this, as I mentioned earlier, is how they and how we need to deal with the many voices of society. We need to listen for God's voice. We need to listen for God's will. However, we must be very careful reading this verse. It is very tempting to see a phrase like His will and jump to conclusions about what it means. And one conclusion that we may jump to is that it refers to God's microscopic will. In other words, what God wants us to do every day and every second of our lives. But this microscopic will, this uh, will with a small w, this is not what God is talking about right here. Instead, what Paul is talking about is about God's will with a big w. In other words, God's big plan in the gospel, his big purpose for the church. In the same way that I needed to navigate through the jungle just now, Paul is not telling the Colossians to look whether to turn left or to turn right. Paul is telling the Colossians to look out for the hill, for their final destination, the big vision that must shape their mission. 
So what exactly is this big will of God? What does Paul want them to know? What is the destination that God wants his people to get to? It is this, that God wants us to be mature Christians when Jesus comes again to bring us into eternal life. Or to put it more briefly, he wants us to be Christ-like when Christ returns. He wants us to be Christ-like when Christ returns. So how do I know this? It certainly isn't spelled out in verse 9. He doesn't say that in verse 9. Rather, what we must do is to look at the rest of the letter of Colossians to understand what Paul means by the word will. So let me give you three examples, even though there are many more examples in Colossians. So let us first take a look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. You can see it on the screen right now. This is the only other use of the word will in Colossians. Here Paul is telling the Colossians that Epaphras, one of their pastors, he is always praying for the Colossians that they may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. In other words, Paul is explaining the will of God as mature Christians who are fully assured of their hope of eternal life in Jesus. Let me give you another example from Colossians chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. And we saw this briefly just now already. Paul says that he has heard of the Colossians' faith in Christ Jesus and of their love for one another. In other words, this is Christian maturity. But what does Paul say is the reason for the Colossians' behavior? He says, it comes from the hope stored up for them in heaven. In other words, eternal life when Jesus returns. And thirdly, let us look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 27 to 28. Here Paul is discussing his own ministry, and he's telling them that God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, in other words, them, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Again, Paul is emphasizing here hope for eternal life, when he says hope of glory. And then Paul carries on to say, Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Once again, the goal is Christ-likeness. So we see that Paul is not talking about God's microscopic will. It is not about the job that we will choose, the person we will marry, or the module that we will study at school. Rather, what Paul is talking about is God's big will for the Christian. His ultimate desire for all of us to be growing in Christ's likeness while trusting that Christ will return. This two-part will, God's desire for our maturity, and his desire for us to hope in, in internal life, that is God's big will for us. That is the vision that must shape your mission. And you can start by allowing that vision to shape you in your prayers. You can pray that all of us understand that God's will is for us to be mature and Christ-like, not just be saved. And you can pray for all of us to grow in confidence in our hope of eternal life in Christ, to trust fully that King Jesus will return. And as you pray, we need to allow God's will to shape our hearts. 
to help us know fully that it is His will for this church to grow in Christ-likeness? Because this is exactly what happened to me when I was a younger Christian. When I first became a Christian, I have to admit, I liked Jesus, but I wasn't that great a fan of the church. Uh, So I stood at the sidelines of the church, just watching and uh, exercising eye power. You know, I, I treated church like it was a transit lounge. Every Sunday, I would land in service for about an hour or so. Then after service ended, I would fly off very quickly. But when I realized that it was God's big plan for His church to be mature and not just be saved, I realized that my standing at the sidelines, that was just plain disobedience to God's will. It was then, it was at that moment that I experienced God's transforming grace. It was then that I understood His will and was filled with motivation to get my hands dirty doing the work of ministry. And my friends, you can experience this grace too. Allow His will to shape your life. And when you do, you will be pastoring, you will be counselling, and you will be walking beside those who are mourning and suffering and in need. You will be a Sunday giver and not just a Sunday consumer. You will be more like Jesus. But only if we let God's will, not our own wills, shape our lives. So brothers and sisters, are you letting His will shape your life? You know, the work of ministry is really far too important to live solely to our pastors, our elders, and our ministry leaders. The work of ministry is the work of the saints, the work of the whole church. But we will only be convicted for all of us to serve in this way if we recognize that God's will is for all of us, His whole church, to be Christ-like when Christ returns. So we need to lay down our wills and take up God's will to shape our lives. Please, don't be disobedient to God's clearly revealed will. Well, as I mentioned, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14 has a simple two-part structure. And we have just covered the first part where Paul asked the Colossians to know God's will. So now we know our destination, Christ-likeness when Christ returns. In other words, we now see the hill that we are supposed to walk towards. But then you may ask, how exactly are we going to get there? After knowing our destination, how do we choose what paths to take? As I now move to the second half of our text for today, you will see that this is Paul's concern as well. For in verse 10, he says that he wants the Colossians to know God's will so that, so that they may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. God's will shapes every way and every path of our lives. So how does such a lifestyle look like? As we look at verses 10 to 14, they show us four paths that lead us to fulfilling God's will. These four paths are highlighted in the text by four action words, four verbs, and they end with I-N-G, ing. And these four words are bearing fruit, growing in knowledge, 
being strengthened, giving joyful thanks. And as we briefly examine each of these four paths, we will see how knowledge of God's will helps us walk down each and every one of them. So let me start with the first ING word. Verse 10 says that we should be bearing fruit in every good work. In other words, the first path we should walk down is the path of Christian discipleship and disciple making. So how is this related to God's will? Well, I think it's quite clear. If God's will is for a mature church and a Christ-like church, then surely we ourselves must live and think and act as mature Christians. And surely we also must seek to serve others in the church to help them grow in Christ-likeness as well. And we also saw earlier that the second part of God's will is for us to hold on tightly to our certain hope that God will surely give us our inheritance of eternal life. And you know why it's so important to hold on to this? Because when we know that God is so gracious to us, it motivates us to bear fruit in thankfulness. Later in the letter, for example, Paul says, whatever you do, so whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So thankfulness for God's gift of eternal life, that is the fertilizer that nurtures the bearing of Christian fruit. At this point of time, if you are asking yourself, so, okay, good, how can I <coughs> learn to bear fruit? Or how can I find an opportunity to help others bear fruit? Let me say, those are really good questions to ask. And let me try to answer you by telling you a little story. Uh, recently, I went with the young adults to Johor for their retreat. I wanted to get to know some of the wise better, and I also secretly wanted to feel younger again. Uh, but seriously, uh, I was also really encouraged by what I saw. There was good biblical teaching that I really enjoyed and learned from. But I also saw how they could learn to bear fruit from one another. I saw the YAs genuinely listening to each other. I saw them caring for one another and modeling fruitfulness to one another. And they weren't just concerned with the YA group. They even catered time deliberately to write cards to others within our church to encourage them. I'm sure some of you may have received these cards. So at the end of the retreat, when it was time for us to freely share, I could not help but say that I saw the gospel advance during that retreat in GBC. So if you're seeking to help others bear fruit, or you're seeking yourself to bear fruit, feel free to join the YAs, or the youth ministry, or the care group ministry. Because all of these ministries give us an opportunity to bear fruit and to learn to bear fruit in a similar manner. I've even been assured by the ministry leaders of the care group ministry, that if you really cannot make Friday nights or Saturday afternoons, they will find a way to help you, even exploring the creation of new groups on other days of the week. But whatever the case is, we need to get involved, for ministry gives us an opportunity to bear fruit according to God's will by nurturing a church that is Christ-like.
the second path that God's big will directs us to walk down, according to verse 10, is to be growing in the knowledge of God, to know God better. So while Christ-likeness is never just about knowledge, growing in Christian maturity nonetheless always begins with the transformation of how we think, especially how we think about God. I know this may sound challenging to some of us. It it may feel as though this is another theology lecture. But nonetheless, this is a journey that God will help us in. For if God's will is for His church to be Christ-like, surely God will help us learn what Christ is like. In fact, I believe God has already been faithfully and long-sufferingly working among us to provide multiple means for us to grow in our knowledge of Him. For example, you have a written copy of the Bible in your own language. This is a luxury and privilege that most of the church throughout the ages, they did not have. This was hard won for you by the blood of saints of years past. God has revealed Himself in it. So what we need to do is to soak our minds in it. And in the same way, God has also provided shepherds and teachers to equip all of us in GBC. But the question is, have we used them well? We are, for example, privileged to have Dr. Paulson teach through book after book of the Bible faithfully for so many years. Even tackling right now the challenging book of Revelation. And we have many ministries organizing training, not just from themselves, but really for the whole church. For example, the care group ministry, the young adults ministry, the missions committee, the discipleship seminars ministry, etc. Whatever ministry you choose, come and enjoy God's grace. Because God's grace has provided learning opportunities for His people to get to know Him better, and allow His Word to help you to grow in the knowledge of Him, and so fulfill His will for this church. Thirdly, the third ING word is being strengthened. We see this in verse 11, which says, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Thank you very much. so that you may have great endurance and patience. First of all, brothers and sisters, we need to note that endurance and patience that Paul is talking about here is in the context of growing the church through proclaiming the gospel and loving one another. We know it is about growing the church because we have already seen Paul talking about the work of nurturing the church in all the other parts of the letter. I've already shown you many of these verses, so I I won't backtrack to show you them. But I need to point this out so that we don't apply this passage to any situation that requires perseverance. Paul is talking about the specific context of growing the people of God as we evangelize, disciple, and love one another. So now that we know when this perseverance is meant to be shown, we may then want to ask, what kind of power is Paul going to be talking about? What is the power we can expect from God? And how is it linked back to God's big will? The next thing we have to note 
is that Paul refers to the source of power as glorious might. Glorious might. And if you carefully study the use of the word glory in Colossians, for example, if you look at Colossians chapter 127, which we saw just now, or if you look at Colossians chapter 3 verse 4, you will find that the word glory always refers to God's giving to us of eternal life when Christ returns. Always. In other words, the power we receive to persevere through challenges in growing the church comes from our sure hope that God will give us eternal life. Let me repeat that one more time, okay? The power we receive to persevere through challenges in growing the church comes from our sure hope that God will give us eternal life. I know this point is a little bit abstract, so let me illustrate this by sharing from my own family life. I thankfully celebrated my fifth wedding anniversary this year, and the one thing I learned from my five years of marriage to my wife, is, uh, and my wife's name is Singy, is that she really has an unconditional love for me. I, I took some time to learn it. She, she first got to know me actually when I was in a very bad spiritual state. But still she decided to love me and marry me. I was quite sad when I found out this week that she was going for an overseas conference in two weeks' time. So I'm afraid you might not be able to see my son as well. And imagine how sad I was when I found out. But you know what? I know something. I know that when she comes back, she will still love me and she will certainly even bring a nice thoughtful gift for me. Because that is the kind of woman she is. So what am I going to do in the meantime when she's away? Am I just going to wait and do nothing? No. I want to be a dutiful husband. Even more, I want to take care of my son. Well, in her absence, I want to love him so that when my wife returns, she will be pleased. Because her will, her desire is for her son to be loved and to be nurtured. And so even when my son is unruly and presents difficulties, should I give up in taking care of him? Of course not. Because I want to please my wife when she returns. But does it also mean that if I don't take care of my son well, she will not love me when she returns? No. Right? She loves me unconditionally. But nonetheless, I press on in being a dutiful husband because I want to please her when she returns. To thank her, for her love and generosity. Likewise for us, Christ is now away. But we know that God's will is for us to, to give us eternal life when Christ returns. But at the same time, He also desires for the church to be Christ-like, in the same way that my wife desires for her son to be loved and nurtured. So what do we do? We fight on. We fight on to love and minister to the church, no matter how difficult it is, because a mature church will please Jesus when He returns. He has given us the gift of eternal life freely and is received by faith. But nonetheless, we work at ministry to thank God by presenting a Christ-like church to Him when He returns. So brothers and sisters, are you discouraged by ministry. If you are, keep 
your eyes on the vision and so stick to your mission. Keep God's glorious gift of eternal life before you and so persevere and endure to hear those precious words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. The last ING word is in verses 12 to 14. Paul says that we are to be giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This point is clearly linked back to God's big will. For when we know that it is God's generous will for us to receive our inheritance, to receive eternal life before Him, how can we not give thanks? How can we not give thanks for the gospel? Well, since I covered the theme of thanksgiving in my previous sermon a short while ago, and I went through it in quite a lot of detail, I won't go through this point too much in detail now. But please, do not think that this point is unimportant. Let me remind you of something I said in the previous sermon. I said this, Thanksgiving is at the heart of Christian discipleship. Because it is only when we are thankful that Jesus has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and that he brings us into the kingdom of light, that thankfulness is what motivates us, is what gives us the energy to press on to follow him. It is our thanksgiving that begets our thanksgiving. So let me bring this sermon to a close. As I asked earlier, in our society, we hear many voices barking at us. What should we do? We need to listen for God's voice. We need to ask the question, what does God want us to know? What is His vision that must shape our mission? And the answer that we saw from Colossians is that we are to know God's will with a big W and that will is for us to be Christ-like when Christ return, returns. We saw that Paul prayed for the Colossians to know this eventual destination so that they would take the right paths, the paths of fruitfulness, of growing in knowledge, of being strengthened in Jesus' glorious might, and of thankfulness. So I'd like to close by practicing with you this prayer. I would like to do so in two ways, okay? First of all, I'm going to give you a minute to pray by yourself before closing this time in prayer. Then after the service ends, we have catered another five minutes for you to seek a prayer partner. Seek a prayer partner. Even someone you don't know to pray with. And brothers and sisters, let us take this prayer time after the service seriously. Let's make sure that we nurture and build the church to Christ-likeness around prayer because that is the will of God. Let us go to the Lord now first in individual prayer. Then I'll close us together.
Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for you have not left us blind. You have not left us groping in the dark without guidance and without direction. Instead, you have shown us that your will for us is to be mature disciples, confident in the hope of eternal life that we have in Christ Jesus. So Lord, may your spirit help us understand the fullness of that truth and may our understanding result in transformed lives that bear good fruit, that know you intimately, that draw upon Jesus' strength in hope, that give thanks always. For you are deserving of all our obedience. For you rescued us from darkness and brought us into your glorious light through our Lord Jesus. So may all honor and glory and praise be yours forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.